This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Greetings, I am Barry. If you're searching for answers, spiritual help, clairvoyant readings, healings, crystals, books, incense, or jewellery, you need to go to Infinity, Hamilton Spiritual Centre, in the new premises at 550 Anglesey Street, or you can phone us on 838 1838. This is your link between this life and the next. Become the change the world needs today. Greetings, I am Barry. This is the voice we're in for another week. Well, here we are, November already. So, great things appearing on the astrological plane. And here's our friend Pam Gregory, and she'll explain all about what's happening on the 4th of November. everyone, Pam Gregory, Astrologer. I'm going to be speaking to you today about the first half of November and the new moon that we have coming up in Scorpio on the 4th. Okay, so let's get into the astrology of November now. We are into eclipse season because we have the lunar eclipse in Taurus on the 19th of November and then a very powerful total solar eclipse in December which I'm going to be talking about in subsequent videos. But whenever we're into eclipse season, the energy always feels more intense. I'm going to be using that word a lot. I'm really sorry, but it is going to be intense. And we're going to see a lot of very rapid, fast-moving changes over these coming months. Eclipse season is very interesting because eclipses are often like pivot points. They're like jumps of endings and beginnings. They're not linear or gradual. So you often find that your life jumps forward in some way, whether from an ending or a beginning at eclipse season. And so as as we're into that energy already, be aware of that. But they can be quite transformational. Also, the veil tends to thin at times of the eclipses. So uh, we are able to access high level information more easily. That's one of the upsides, one of the big upsides of eclipses. We're entering Scorpio season now. As we enter the month, the Sun and Mars are already in Scorpio. Mars entered on the 30th of October. Mars is the ancient ruler of Scorpio, is extremely comfortable there and is absolutely on a mission. Mars is laser focused in Scorpio. So for anybody who has natally Mars in Scorpio, you will know what I'm talking about. Extremely determined, fixed absolutely unstoppable. So that's why we have a lot of, well, many reasons that that I'm going to be covering. We have a very, very strong energy here. Now, um, 
Scorpio is the sign. Um, it's the most intense of the water signs, that, um, that word again, most intense of the water signs. It's very connected to secrets as well, deep, dark secrets. So we're going to be hearing a lot about secrets and a lot about truths as we go into November and December. We start the month also with Mercury in an exact T-square. It's a 24 of Libra, exact T-square to Pluto, 24 of Capricorn, and Eris at 24 of Aries. So this has happened three times. Mercury was conjunct Eris, square Pluto, in mid-April. Again, in late July, it was in Cancer, forming a T-square opposing Pluto, squaring Eris. And now again, as it's moving forwards in its motion, we have it in this exact T-square from Libra. So voices are going to be heard around possibly legalities, Libra around issues of fairness, justice, equality. And because it's in T-square to Eris, it's going to be voicing some of those concerns about people who are not being included in society, not being heard on the periphery, marginalized. And so those voices are going to get really quite loud. In fact, I think they're going to get increasingly loud as we go through the year, because now with Saturn moving direct, we're moving more tightly into that third and final square between Saturn and Uranus that happens on Christmas Eve, 24th of December. And I've got a whole video on Saturn Square Uranus. I'll try and remember to put the link below. But top line, it's about the old versus the new, about control versus freedom, and about the past versus the future. And I think we can clearly, clearly see those themes playing out. And so let's get into this new moon in Scorpio, which happens on the 4th. Now, because it's in Scorpio, as I say, Scorpio is very concerned with, with secrets. It's often to do with secrets of the rich and powerful. It's often to do with a lot of wealth. But this new moon, of course, is going to be, for other reasons too, which I'll share with you, is going to be really shining a light on those secrets. So what I'm going to do now is hopefully share my screen with you so you can see this. Now, um, this is set 4th of November. So they're coming pretty much exact at 12.16. This is based on UK time. Our R has changed at the end of October. Um, and so you will have to calculate your own location if you want to look at this. So again, I want to emphasize, ignore the clock face of this chart, ignore the angles because they are only applicable for anybody living on UK time. So, and many of you will understand that, but for, for those of you on in, UK, in the UK and on UK timeline, you'll see that Pluto here is close to the angle close to the descendant. And that really says something to me about the increased control potentially of, um, of the people. And that's echoed in other themes as well. Um, so let us get into the, the, the detail of this. Firstly, it's a new moon, perfect time to set a new intention for wherever this falls in your life, 12 degrees of Scorpio. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can download a free birth chart from my website. Um, and if you go to the link in the description below this video, you'll find a link to take to my store. You can buy a two-part tutorial 
video series that will explain how to find all these points in your chart that I will talk about with every update I ever do, and it will give a lot more meaning to you and your life. So this is really full of tense aspects, hard aspects. We only really have one trine in here, which I'll be, I'll be talking about. So the first big aspect I want to point out is the sun and moon always uh, conjunct at a new moon are opposing Uranus very tightly. You'll see that Uranus is at 1247, literally six, seven minutes away from an exact opposition to the sun and moon. Wow. So it is very likely around the time of the new moon that we are going to see some shocks, some surprises, some sudden unexpected events happening. And they can take many forms. I mean, Uranus will always surprise us. They can take many forms because Uranus is in Taurus. That rules um, banking, currencies, the economy. Um, it also is connected to the Earth because Uranus, um, Taurus is a fixed earth sign, so this may be to do with earthquakes and volcanoes. We've been seeing a lot of those recently. Maybe political, financial earthquakes as well. It could be extreme weather. And Uranus is also the planet of rebellion and revolution. So I think certainly going into November, December, we are going to see a lot more social unrest. And that's coming from various things. It's also, of course, Uranus, the planet of awakening. And I think a lot of people are going to be really seeing seeing things they hadn't seen before. Because if, if we consider that Scorpio is the sign of secrets, Uranus is like the piercing sword of truth. It just adds absolutely piercing clarity to something. And because this aspect is so tight, this opposition, we should expect to see some truths, some secrets revealed let us say. The other way this can work, and we're already seeing it, is um, Taurus is also connected to our agriculture, our food, our food supply systems as well. And we're seeing in many countries um, short staffing because employees are deciding to take a different course of action and they're leaving their, their jobs. And, and whether it's as in the UK, we've had a shortage of tanker drivers and therefore petrol can't get to the pumps. And if petrol doesn't get to the pumps, then that means distribution to supermarkets is going to be more um, limited and, and dislocated. All of this, in fact, literally just the symbolism of Uranus and Taurus is about disruptions and dislocations in our, in our food supply systems and in our agriculture. That can be also caused by extreme weather, of course, of droughts or floods or earthquakes or whatever. So all of those are likely themes at this time and indeed ongoing, because in January, the nodes enter, the north node enters Taurus and the south node enters Scorpio. They will stay in Taurus Scorpio for another 18 months, so until mid-2023. So all of the themes I've just talked about with um, Taurus and Scorpio will continue through that period. Now, Taurus is often connected with our safety, our feelings of safety and security, our survival issues, if you like. And so food is obviously a big one there. And I've been saying for many months just to, to, you know, just quietly plan as if you're planning for a severe winter and get some, get some stocks and stores in and then you will feel much more peaceful. 
you'll feel much more peaceful to know that you've got stores at home and you can you can kind of weather any hiccups and difficulties that are, are going to come about. The other way I think this could work as well is Taurus is about bringing us back to the simplest, if you like, the simple things of life. It's about our values. And undeniably, our values have changed enormously in the last 20, 21 months. But I think they may may simplify even more so that we get to love the simple. You know, we really become focused on things like growing our own food, even if it's in a very limited way of growing microgreens inside the house or whatever. If you don't have a garden, I, I think that will become a greater focus and a greater value for us as we move through um, these months ahead. So, as I say, Scorpio very much about secrets. It's also about wealth and wealth in terms of very much in terms of big wealth, rich and powerful wealth, investments, um, Scorpio is coming to the fore with the Pandora Papers coming out, that kind of thing. It's also about loans and mortgages. So again, we could see some turbulence because of the opposition to Uranus, sudden shocks and surprises around stock markets, wealth, that kind of thing, but also secrets around wealth coming to light as well, as I say. Now, Mars is also in Scorpio. So I say it is conjunct in an out of sign conjunction to Mercury. And that can make for some angry words here, some angry words at this time. And again, they could be linked to the Libra issues, fairness, equality, justice, as I've um, as I've talked about, because Mercury is still, although it's moved on a little, it's still in this T-square to Pluto in Capricorn and Eris over here, 24 of Aries. Um, also, what is interesting here, Mars is very widely conjunct the new moon. We call the sun and moon together the new moon. So if you take the midpoint of Mars and the new moon, it's at seven degrees of Scorpio. So seven degrees of Scorpio is exactly square to seven degrees of Aquarius, where Saturn sits. And that midpoint is also opposing Uranus because Saturn is, as I say, starting to get closer to its exact square with Uranus on the 24th of December. So initially then at this new moon, with with Mars, it's like the accelerator. Got to go, got to go, got to act, got to do. It's very, uh, particularly in Scorpio as well, it's very urgent, got to do something. However, Saturn acts like the break. So it's like trying to create action, but just running into a wall. And the wall here is likely to be Saturn, government rules and regulations, things we can't do, etc. So there's quite a lot of frustration here. Mars-Saturn combinations could even be militaristic um, at times as well. So there's a, there is this frustration. But what is very interesting is that as the days tick by, Mars moves gradually through Scorpio, and by the 17th of November, it is exactly opposing Uranus at 12 of Scorpio Taurus. This will be an explosive day, and not just that day, the 17th, few days to either side. This is much more the signature of earthquakes and eruptions, and it's... it's, um, explosive, combative, that kind of feeling. 
it will not be suppressed. So there's going to be an interesting progression between Mars feeling a bit blocked at this new moon on the 4th, but by you know, progressively through the month, by the time we get to the 17th, this is a hot combination as Mars becomes exactly opposite to Uranus. So it's it, this is like a pressure cooker. There's so many hard aspects and squares in here. It's like a pressure cooker. So that's a very interesting aspect at this new moon. And obviously, we have this long-term square that I've talked so much about in the last um, two years between Pluto, 24 Capricorn, 24 Capricorn, and Eris at 24 Aries. This square will actually continue really until Pluto exits Capricorn, goes into Aquarius in fully in 2024. And it's still exact to the degree now, and it will be, still be very strong through next year. So it's, it's similar in its themes to Saturn and Uranus. It's this idea of um, individuality, freedom, the future breaking loose, running up against control. Very clear themes, governmental control rules and regulations, etc. So the other thing um, I think is noteworthy as well is remember that these hard aspects between Eris and Pluto are incredibly rare um, because Eris has a virtually a 560-year orbit. And um, so it's extremely rare for them to come into square. And I think I mentioned in the last video when the, the last time that happened, but I know it happened in the 1700s as well. And, you know, with similar themes that we are, that we are seeing now. So um, just, just know that this is a paradigm shift. This is a shift of the ages. And so we have to go through some demolition, through some really messy stuff to get us through to the other side. And what is positive here actually is Mercury at 28 of Libra is in a positive trine to Jupiter close on 23 of Aquarius. These are both air signs, so they're social. And this is about having big future vision, big ideas about future ways that society can be organized, Aquarius, future ways that will allow us freedom, allow our human rights to be respected, and futuristic social organization is how I see that. So that will be happening at the same time as, as the demolition, as it were. Now, what's also interesting here is that Venus is on the galactic center. Venus is at 29 of Sagittarius. The galactic center is at 27 of Sagittarius. Whenever a planet aligns with the galactic center, the center of our galaxy, it, it almost kind of opens a window to that very high level um, energy with which we create. It opens us up to higher level information. So it's a very powerful place for Venus to be. And interestingly, also, she is conjunct this dwarf planet I've mentioned before, Ixion, the lawless brother of Pluto. Now, Ixion at this new moon is four minutes away from entering Capricorn. It's at 29.56 minutes. And on the 12th of November, Ixion enters Capricorn. And it lasted that in February, March 2020, last year. And there's quite a lot of turbulence on stock markets because Venus is linked to um, currencies, wealth in general. Um, we are likely to see more of that because of all these, you know, all this turbulence around finance, etc. And Venus 
also moves into Capricorn, right on zero of Capricorn on the um, on the fifth, the day after this new moon. So they are both really at the, the world axis. World axis is zero degrees of the cardinal sign. So zero of Capricorn is the world axis. And when, when planets um, come to the world axis, things tend to happen on a big public stage. It's obvious we can't, um, we can't avoid it. So that's another um, very, very powerful aspect that is happening here as well. I think looking um, a little further into the month as well, um, we see that the moon, the moon enters Aries on the 14th of the month. And by the 16th, the moon has come to conjunct Aries. So Aries is the warrior, the sign of the warrior. The moon is the people. And it has come to highlight this Eris pluto square. And it is also very much about the people feeling warrior-like, if you like, or, or, or angry. So this is going to be a very eventful month, I feel, uh, a great deal happening, a great deal happening in these coming months. So whatever your level of um, knowledge and understanding about what you think is unfolding in the world, I think all of us are going to be rocked. All of us are going to be rocked as we go through these coming months. So don't be surprised if that happens. So really try to cut off from getting involved in negative emotions with the 3D drama, because there's going to be a lot, a lot of drama, even more than we have seen so far. So try to pull back from that Stay on your eagle's perch. Make your focus your inner mastery. Focus every day on your breath work. Focus every day on your meditation. Focus every day on dropping into the baby belly breath. Let the breath breathe you like a baby does. Within minutes, you can have shifted everything, really. Your feeling of peace, your feeling of calm, your biomarkers. And that in itself is starting to generate a very different reality from what we're seeing as the rubber hits the road at 3D. And that's what we have to do. And the more of us that can do that and find our peace amidst all of this, because it will be chaotic, you know, with, with businesses being short-staffed and many um, organizations being short-staffed, it will be chaotic at that, at that not so-called normal 3D level we've known all of our lives. Just expect that. You know, as we as we go through it, if things are getting a little crazy, you can say, well, the astrology is anticipating that because we have to break down to break through. And it isn't just me. Many, many astrologers, of course, are seeing the same thing, but also sensitive people, very spiritual people, channelers are all seeing this same picture. So just know it's going to happen. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it's loud. Yes, it's chaotic. And this too shall pass. So I hope that's been helpful for you. If you'd like more information about my, my books, my teaching videos, etc., just check out my web, website, pamgregory.com. I'm hoping the redesign website will be up by the next video. Let's hope so. But either way, it's pamgregory.com. If it's moving slowly, it will be the old one. And, uh, but the other one is coming down the track. Bless you. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful new moon in Scorpio. Bye for now. Thank you.
Thank you. 
That's Deuter and a track called Volmond in Herbst, which translates to Full Moon in Autumn. And now for something completely different. Over the years I've always talked about crop circles. Um, there's a little article that came up about crop circles and are we alone? Is there a God? What is the meaning of life? Where do we go when we die? These are the types of questions which have enamored and perplexed humans across generations and locales. But perhaps no query holds a place of prominence on this list, quite like the age-old question, are we alone in the universe? For many people, it seems impossible that Earth would be the only place in the universe with intelligent life. Just think about it. There may be more Earth-like planets out there than grains of sand on our entire planet. But if there is other intelligent life out there, if aliens do exist, how could they contact us? And if they did, how could we be expected to understand each other across what would presumably be vastly different languages or modes of communication? There is, of course, at least one universal language in the universe, the language of mathematics. Perhaps aliens could use math in an attempt to communicate with human beings on Earth. Perhaps they already have. On the morning of January 19, 1966, an Australian banana farmer named George Pedley was driving his tractor, as he did every morning, through the Horseshoe Lagoon region of Tully, Australia. Suddenly, a loud hissing noise pierced the air, nearly knocking Pedley from his seat. Frightened, he watched as a strange gray object some 25 feet long, rose from the lagoon and sped off into the sky. Examining the area from which the object had appeared, Pedley found a circle of flattened reeds he described as a nest. Oddly, the reeds were not simply bent over, but physically uprooted from the lagoon, somehow floating on the surface of the water in a swirling mat. The next day, Pedley brought the police to the site to show them what he'd found. In no time, the local press had taken note of the story. Sightseers and curious onlookers flocked to the area, discovering as they did a number of similar nests scattered throughout the lagoon. The mystery would go unexplained, though even though the Royal Australian Air Force noted that during inquiries, a number of local residents stated that the reported nests are fairly common during the onset of the wet season. Incredibly, this story was not even the most bizarre of its kind in Australia that year. Months later, over 200 staff and students at a high school in Melbourne witnessed a large disc about twice the size of a car, not entirely dissimilar to that described by Pedley flying through the sky outside their school in the middle of the day. Before flying off and disappearing into the horizon, the disc landed on the ground in the distance. 
When students ran to the spot, they found a large circle of flattened and twisted grass, what Pedley may have described as a nest. More bizarre, though, was what happened in the days and weeks that followed the incident. According to witnesses, the area where the disc had landed was immediately cordoned off by the military. Many students were visited by men in black suits who warned them against speaking about the incident. In fact, the school's headmaster was apparently so scared and disturbed that he told students they would be severely punished and staff that they would be fired if they talked about the incident at all. Even the local media's footage covering the story has mysteriously disappeared from their archives. If there was a cover-up, it worked. The story faded from memory and the world went on, pleasantly unaware of Australia's mysterious nests. That is, until the late 1970s, when a series of strange circular patterns started to appear in farmers' fields across the countryside in England, eerily similar to those in Australia a decade before. These mysterious crop circles, as they came to be known, appeared overnight, oftentimes spanning many hundreds of feet in diameter. Shocking and inexplicable as they were, this was not the first time they had been seen on Earth. As far back as the 1600s, art depicting circles being cut in fields of oat, representing a legend known as Devil's Mowing, the ominous title suggesting an unexplained otherworldly origin. By the late 1800s, crop circles were being discussed in detail in the highly respected Nature Journal. The appearance of these crop circles became prevalent in England in the 1970s and only grew more frequent through the 80s and 90s. To this day, crop circles appear with regularity all over the world. But what are they? These great masterpieces of mystery and intrigue. Where do they come from? And what could they mean? Could they really be from mysterious flying objects? From extraterrestrial visitors? At first, scientists tried to explain the formation of crop circles as the result of unusual wind patterns. Several scientists even suggested they were a result of the particularly vigorous sexual activity of hedgehogs. Then in 1991, an answer presented itself. It was all a hoax. Two men, Doug Bauer and his co-conspirator Dave Chorley, colloquially known as Doug and Dave, came forward and revealed that, in what started as a drunken prank, they had been the ones creating crop circles. They explained that they did so by using a stock stumper, quite simply a rope tied at both ends to a board, used by holding the rope, putting a foot on the board, and physically stomping the crops down in a circular pattern. Immediately, it was declared that the mystery had been solved, the magicians having revealed their magic trick. Unfortunately for those inherently dismissive of a so-called conspiracy theory like crop circles, it was not quite so simple. Shortly after Doug and Dave introduced the stock stomper to the world, one scientist ventured to actually study the stocks which had purportedly been stomped. His name was William Levengood, a well-respected biophysicist and the author of over 50 peer-reviewed papers and six patents. Curiously, in plants taken from the crop circle areas, Levengood found a series of significant anomalies. 
strangely elongated plant nodes, seed cavities totally devoid of seeds, and expulsion cavities blown open at the nodes. Obviously, these types of things do not happen to plants when someone steps on them with a board. In Levengood's own words, the affected plants have components which suggest the involvement of rapid air movement, ionization, electric fields, and transient high temperatures combined with an oxidizing atmosphere. Levengood's discoveries led some to speculate that crop circles could have been made by individuals using some sort of microwave emitter, which would superheat the stem of the plant and cause it to fall over. But then, another layer was added to the intrigue, thanks to a study on the soil where crop circles had appeared. Astoundingly, the study found that the clay minerals contained within the soil had somehow crystallized, a phenomenon previously only seen in sedimentary rock, which had been exposed to massive geologic pressure over the course of hundreds or thousands of years. It made no scientific sense that this crystallization would be found under a crop circle. Even if the requisite geologic pressure had somehow existed, and even if it had somehow acted to form a crop circle, the pressure would have obliterated the crops, while if pressure was replaced by the kind of heat required to encourage crystallization, that is 600 to 800 degrees Celsius, for a period of many hours, the crops would surely have been incinerated. Perhaps it had been something else, something related to electric fields and transient high temperatures, as Levengood surmised. It is important to note that these characteristics studied by Levengood are not found at every crop circle site. That is to say, some crop circles are literally tramped down by a person with a rope and a board. But that's just the point. Some, not all. Even the most skeptical of scientists would likely admit that there are a number of crop circle sites exhibiting characteristics which defy modern scientific understanding. In other words, while crop circles were proven to be a hoax in the early 90s, since then, the scientific community has said, not so fast. And it goes far beyond the structure of the crops or the composition of the soil. In 1974, famed American scientist Carl Sagan oversaw the broadcast of the so-called Arecibo message into space. The goal? To contact extraterrestrial life with the most powerful radio waves ever produced by humans. The broadcast included information about the Earth's location, the appearance and DNA of human beings, as well as core principles of our mathematics and science. It was an ambitious, if outlandish, project. After all, what chance was there really of receiving a response? What chance indeed? 27 years later, a crop circle appeared in Chilbolton, England, next to the UK's largest telescope and observatory, which appeared to be a depiction of the face on Mars photograph. This was interesting enough on its own, but days later, something even more mind-blowing appeared. There, in the same field, appeared a crop circle described as a dead ringer for Sagan's 1974 message. It was formatted in the same way and seemed to respond to the information originally broadcast into space, detailing a different solar system, the appearance of the sender, and information on non-human DNA. Some described it quite simply as the ultimate response we could have hoped for. But wait, 
If Sagan's message had received a response, who or what could have done such a thing? Could it really have been some sort of alien race? Some have suggested the answer to this question was revealed through the appearance of another crop circle in Italy in 2011. There in the small town of Porino, a crop circle emerged which depicted a seven-pointed star. Contained in the design was a code which seemed to identify its creator as somebody named Enki. This is not a random or inconsequential name. Enki is the name of an ancient Sumerian god, a precursor to Aquarius. More importantly, Enki was, according to some, the leader of an ancient group of aliens called the Anunnaki who visited Earth long ago. Thinkers like Zechariah Sitchin and Eric von Daniken have asserted that these Anunnaki colonized Earth some 500,000 years ago, genetically engineering human beings as a slave race. Perhaps it is the Anunnaki who are now contacting humans, announcing through crop circles the impending return of Enki. As Sitchin has stated, the zodiacal cycle returns to exactly the same spot every 25,920 years. So, we are now leaving the age of Pisces. Enki was the prototype god of Aquarius. Whether this means that it is all going to happen again, that Enki is coming back, I don't know. There are a lot of signaling and signs that all point in that direction. If human beings were enslaved by the Anunnaki before, then why not again? However, there is another side to the story, another angle to the Anunnaki legend. Many believe that this alien race has in the past provided humans with advanced technology and knowledge, that this in fact explains seemingly impossible structures like the pyramids or Stonehenge. With this in mind, look again at the seven-pointed star crop circle, which appeared in Italy. As researcher Michael Lee Hill pointed out, in the world of geometry and frequency, a seven-pointed star is crucially related to 432 hertz. Consider a cymatic image of a frequency exactly four octaves below 432 hertz appears as a seven-pointed star identical to that found in Italy. Significantly, 432 hertz is known as the magic number, the natural frequency of the universe. Because of this, it has been suggested that the appearance of a seven-pointed star crop circle is a coded message. But what sort of coded message? A prominent Native American elder named Bear Cloud has cryptically suggested when scientists learn that the seven-pointed star has a forward progression and recreates itself infinitely as a whole unit, there will be huge leaps in the progress of man. Meanwhile, Hill's research into the Italian crop circle produced a more concise message. Somebody is trying to tell us something. If I had to guess, it's to show that 432 hertz equals energy. Italy was not the first, nor the last, time it appeared that somebody was trying to tell us something through crop circles. In fact, some would say that over the years, crop circles have revealed many secrets. 
In the mid-afternoon on July 7, 1996, a commercial pilot was flying his normal route over the Stonehenge Monument in Wiltshire, England. This was not an unusual occurrence. Many companies offer aerial tours of Stonehenge to tourists. The pilot reached his destination and turned around, passing the same spot about 45 minutes later. What he saw stunned him. There, in the field, directly across the highway from Stonehenge, was a huge centipede-like geometric pattern, dozens individual circles, which had not been there when he had flown over less than an hour prior. How is this possible, he wondered. Stonehenge security was on duty 24-7, and tourists were everywhere. Anyone walking into the field with an armful of equipment in broad daylight would surely have been spotted and stopped. Even more incredibly, a closer examination by experts revealed that the centipede-like pattern was not just any random design. In fact, it represented a mathematical pattern called the Julia set. This went far beyond the actions and abilities of hoaxers looking for a laugh. Whomever or whatever had created these crop circles possessed a deep understanding of complex mathematics. But the Julia set would only be the start, only the tip of the proverbial iceberg. In the years that followed, crop circles appeared in rapid succession which provided examples of advanced mathematics or complex physics. In 2010, a 300-foot design appeared in a field in England which, once decoded, revealed a mathematical formula called Euler's Identity, known as the most beautiful and profound mathematical equation in the world. Two years before that, a coded image had appeared in the same area which represented the first ten digits of pi. But it goes back further. In 2000, NASA scientist Alan Holt visited Wiltshire, England, the location of many crop circle appearances, to examine the phenomenon. Tongue planted firmly in cheek, Holt put out the thought in a crop picture, somewhat as a test, but really a request, that he would like to see a crop pictogram appear which could provide some insight into the direction he should pursue in his advanced transport and field physics research activities. Incredibly, two days later, in a field near him, crop circles appeared which revealed a detailed diagram of a magnetic field near a bar magnet. Ask and ye shall receive, it appeared. In fact, between 1997 and 2009, no less than five crop circle appearances showed complex diagrams of twisted vortexes representing the side and top views of a magnetic field, while others displayed mechanical routers or the field lines of an electric charge. Then, crop circles appeared which revealed detailed blueprints for magnetic motors. What could this possibly mean, this continued appearance of complex mathematics and electromagnetic diagrams in crop circles around the world? For centuries, human scientists have suggested reaching out to intelligent life in the universe through mathematics. As far back as the 1800s, famed German mathematician Carl Gauss suggested that trees should be planted in the Siberian forest in a way which displayed the Pythagorean theorem, while at the same time, Austrian astronomer Joseph von Littrow suggested kerosene-filled trenches in the Sahara Desert displaying geometric shapes. If humans have come to this conclusion, then it would probably be safe to assume other forms of intelligent life have done so as well. Perhaps they have already tried just such a method. 
Could it be that crop circles are in fact a form of this extraterrestrial messaging similar to a forest displaying the Pythagorean theorem? As early as 1991, in a book written by Alec Bartholomew entitled Crop Circles, Harbingers of World Change, the idea that crop circles could be messages from non-human intelligence was being discussed. Bartholomew asked, if crop circles were messages, what were they trying to convey? In the book, British historian and noted psychic Isabel Kingston professed that crop circles might contain a blueprint for a new form of energy that would one day be unraveled by scientists. It may have seemed far-fetched at the time, but after decades of increasingly complex mathematical patterns and electromagnetic diagrams appearing in crop circles, there are many who now believe Bartholomew and Kingston may have been onto something. Some assert that crop circles are extraterrestrial messages to humanity, blueprints for new futuristic technology designed to help humans move to the next level of their existence, that hidden within the diagrams of magnetic fields and motors are the secrets to a new form of unlimited energy. A particularly poignant example of this may have come in 2011 when a crop circle revealed the designs for a magnetic flywheel invented by self-taught American engineer Ed Leedskalen way back before World War II. Leedskalen and his flywheel would have been a totally unremarkable reference, but for the fact that he was the creator of Coral Castle, a monument in Florida made of over 1,000 tons of coral. Little is known about how Leedskalen constructed this monument. Apparently he did it by himself and in the dead of night. When asked for an explanation, he said, I understand the laws of weight and leverage and know the secrets of people who built the pyramids at Giza in Egypt long ago. With this cryptic answer, the speculation became that Leedskalen had used some sort of magnetic levitating device to move the stone. Speculation expanded further when, after Leedskalen's death, strange remnants of what appeared to be an electromagnetic device were found in a chamber beneath Coral Castle, wires wrapped around bottles, piles of magnets, and chains. Could it be that Leedskalen had discovered the secrets of electromagnetic energy, known previously by those who constructed the pyramids as he suggested, and used it to create Coral Castle? And if so, is it possible a diagram for his magnetic wheel appeared as a crop circle to draw attention to this fact? Similar questions can be asked of the many other examples over the past few decades of crop circles revealing magnetic motors and diagrams. In fact, they are being asked. Since at least 2008, Italian inventor Umberto Baudo has been using crop circles as inspiration and blueprint for an invention he believes will provide unlimited free energy. Baudo asserts that crop circles are the maximum expression of a message because through an image you can communicate much more than with words without any doubt, especially if the message is addressed to someone that does not speak our language. And what is the message which is being communicated in these crop circles? Quite simply, according to Baudo, since 2008, I realized that it is absolutely possible to generate free energy to all of the planet. Baudo's work has led him to experiment with magnetic motors and systems of centrifugal force, entering uncharted territory and working against conventional wisdom and a powerful status quo, not to mention the laws of thermodynamics. 
In 2012, at a small meeting in Modena, Italy, Baudo said, Crop circles. The media and science treat this phenomenon subtly, but it is of great importance for humanity. Only those who study it seriously can understand that it is not a joke. After long and exhausting study, I can demonstrate that many of these crop patterns are not man-made. Since the beginning of my research, I noticed there were technical drawings which show us new ways to produce free energy. I have been trying to reproduce those patterns for a long time, using permanent magnets with no result. Then I realized a new way to develop those mechanisms, and I will show you how they work with the help of a simulator. What he would show were complex systems based on diagrams obtained from crop circles, which used centrifugal force. Baudo tested these systems using computer simulations, which allowed him to rotate shapes at high speed and examine what happened to energy generation, both with and without the variables of gravity, magnets, springs, and chains. He asserts he has created a model which continues to build momentum even after the engine is turned off. Unlimited Energy In his own words, the main key to understand it is fundamentally one, the centrifugal force, just like that. As we move into the third decade of the 21st century, it is far from just Umberto Bado who is working on something like this. Across the world, scientists and inventors are working with the complex diagrams seen in crop circles in pursuit of free energy, futuristic transportation, and more. Of course, many questions still remain. Why, with such seemingly incredible potential, are the messages contained in crop circles mostly ignored? The circles themselves, portrayed in mainstream popular culture as elaborate hoaxes. One answer to this question can perhaps be found by examining who stands to lose the most with the discovery of a source of unlimited free energy. Oil and gas companies, the industrial juggernauts which control the global economy. But economics aside, it must be asked. If science agrees that some crop circles can't be explained by any earthly phenomenon, then where did they come from? If they are some sort of extraterrestrial messages, then what are they trying to say? And just what might these messages allow us to achieve?
Gates of the Sun by Elysian Fields. Very interesting. It all, all fits together, you see. There was amazing crop circles over the years. I mean, I've been watching them for, for such a long time. And I always go back to the one that, that when you worked it out was pi, 3.1425, whatever. Brilliant. There are so many websites about the, the crop circle connector is the one I use. And it lists everything from the last, I don't know how many years, all the different crop circles, including the ones I was in. Now, Lee Harris um, was having a little think, and he came up with this. And this is about connection and disconnection in chaotic times. As I was driving home from here yesterday, tuning in on today, and going, OK, what, what are we going to be doing today? Is there anything I need to say at the beginning? I very clearly heard the Z's saying, this is a time of connection and disconnection. And what they wanted me to talk to you about is this kind of split that we're seeing in the world right now. And disconnection or division is very strong, but equally so is incredible connection. There is a real paradox about the earth right now because energetically things are more intense, more heavy, more difficult, more seemingly scary or precarious on the one side. And then on the other side, many or most of us are also having very elevated experiences. Maybe not all the time. Some of you are, though. And I mean, I saw that in your questions. Some of you are going, well, I feel a bit bad because I'm actually feeling better than I ever have before. And so we're all in slightly different places. Some of you won't be in that place right now. Maybe something very dramatic has just happened in your life or something that has really turned you upside down. So at the moment, you're giving yourself to that process. You're giving yourself to grief or shock or whatever is dominant for you. But it is this very interesting split between higher energy and lower energy. And so what they wanted me to ask you to consider, and maybe they'll elaborate on this in a moment when I channel them, the questions I've written down here on my whiteboard are, what are we connecting with? What are we disconnecting from? What are we connecting with? What are we disconnecting from? So just to give you an example that pops into my head, you know, I've just connected with my home office and also it's an office and a music room place I can now create. So because I connected into it, suddenly I'm like, oh, great. I can start creating some new music in here that we can then, that because I disconnected from the story of, oh, I don't like the energy in that room, which, you know, I only thought for about three days, but it was interesting how convinced I was for about three days. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. The disconnection and connection part go hand in hand. So it is a paradox. But why I'm bringing this up to you I'm very aware of the grief of this time. I'm very aware of the grief of disconnection. I'm disconnected from my old life pre-2020, which I think everybody is in some way. I'm disconnected from friends who I really disagree with. And we're having all these big divisions, whether it's about viruses or, you know, whatever else is going on. And um, there's many things that we could pick. There is a lot of disconnection going on on the planet, but equally, there is a lot of connection. And so I think the heaviest side of us as human beings, which many of us 
They, they say that we're, we're predisposed to the negative as human beings. I don't actually believe that's a soul truth. I believe that is part of our pattern and part of our conditioning. But it's interesting that at times like these, even in the portal at the moment, you know, the questions uh, are dominantly um, around loss or around grief or around feelings of sadness, you know. And so I know if that's going on in, in our community at a higher level than it used to, questions for us a couple years ago maybe were, it was different. It was slanted differently. But the amount of disconnection that's going on in the planet makes way for new connection as well. And it's really important for us, for our life force, for our spirit, for our happiness, and for our ability to really be present in life, to connect with something. It's why if you go through a lot of loss in your life, sure, you're going to need to grieve and you might curl up into a ball for six months, maybe longer, but at some point, you have to come back out. You can't stay there for years without losing your spirit, losing yourself, perhaps losing some of your sanity, some of your joy. We can't stay in that place as human beings. It's not good for us and it's not good for others. So what I'm bringing to you today is just those two questions. And it would be a really good exercise to do, to write down, what am I connecting with? And what am I disconnecting from? And ask yourself intuitively to, to write the answers. So you might write, oh, I'm disconnecting from fear because for the last nine months, I was racked with fear about everything. And then three weeks ago, something changed for me or I realized I needed to make a change. Okay, I'm disconnecting from fear right now. Doesn't mean you won't have moments of fear, but it means you're disconnecting from that theme being the dominant force in your life. I'm disconnecting from two friends who I was really close to and it's been hard, but I'm kind of clear. It looks like we're supposed to disconnect at least at, the, at least at this time for the time being, because we've, we've tried the opposite and it isn't working, but equally understand what am I connecting with follows that whenever we lose something in our life, when we've recovered from the loss, there is space for the new to appear. And the Z's have been talking a lot about innovation on the planet. And they said that especially this year and next year, we will start to see more of the, how did they put it? The unusual birth energy that will rise out of everything that's been going on the last 18 months. So with everything, with all the lockdowns and all of the restrictions and everything that we're facing, they said, you know, life finds a way and energy finds a way and consciousness finds a way. So for you and for your well-being, for yourself and your sovereignty as a human soul on this planet at this time, what are you connecting with? So the reason we want to write the, li the list of what am I disconnecting from is so that we get really conscious of that. But then equally, we get conscious of what am I connecting with? And if, if your what am I connecting with list is really empty and you're like, oh my God, I wrote 20 things that I'm disconnecting from, but I haven't put anything here on my what am I connecting with list, write a list that says, I would love to connect with these things in the next 12 months and write it all out. The reason I'm suggesting this is there's a lot of chaos right now. 
and the chaos can really knock you off center and it can take you out of your conscious ability to manifest it can take you out of your presence of mind i think it was either this month's energy update or the one before there was just a reminder of how infectious we all are to each other so if i go and talk to a group of people who are completely doom and gloom about everything that we're experiencing and i'm not really aware of that i just kind of get lost in their energy or kind of want to connect so i connect in i'll walk away and i'll probably feel quite doom and gloom for a while unless i shake that off and ask myself well do i need to do i need to keep that maybe i maybe i do maybe i maybe doom and gloom is where i'm going to go for the next year maybe that's how i'm going to feel about everything i'm not judging if that's where you end up going but i'm saying this because I suspect 97% of you who are here in the portal don't want that to be your future. And how we feel in the present definitely influences the future. And at a time like this where you know freedom restriction is is kind of in a fight on the planet right now and it's a very active fight. People are talking about it, some people are fighting about it. I mean some of the stuff that you see flying around on social media right now is is pretty uh yeah it's pretty it's pretty distasteful energetically in terms of the um the the rights and the wrongs and the attack of each other which you know isn't too surprising if you look at how the 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 fear narrative got pumped and amplified in 2020 you know if if people get infected with enough fear they will lose their hearts their consciousness they will panic they will go into very primal animalistic responses so we are dealing with a level of that on the planet but the reason i'm asking you to come back to you and ask yourself what am i connecting with what am i disconnecting from it's no different to me organizing my office right this unconscious stuff in the office that seemed overwhelming at the time when i looked at those boxes and then you know you spend a couple of days you go through the boxes you're like oh that's a nice surprise oh wow why didn't i throw that away 3 years ago you know you go through that process and then you come to this new room and we need to keep checking the rooms in our in our house right now in this house in our mind in our emotions i was talking with a friend the other day who's a healer and um you know she was saying my god she was like thank god i've done all the work i've done because this is challenging this time and i was like yeah you know this is a time that we have to maintain ourselves in a way that is more conscious than ever before because the level of unconscious energy and conscious energy flying around is kind of like a tornado so this is a time for you to galvanize and you know i will always be your cheerleader when it comes to creating you know i'll always be someone who's asking you um you know what are you creating um i'm not somebody for those of you who are new to me you know one of the th- one of my great spiritual truths is we never know how long we have on this planet it's been a guiding light for me for about 15 years and it's a truth you know having lost people i love at very young ages i'm not in that spell that many of us were trained into that we're all going to live until we're 80 or 90 i don't believe that because that's not the truth i've seen and i also think that's a very harmful belief because it takes us away from the present it lets us buy into oh okay well i'll get married and i'll get a job and then when i'm 
65, I'll retire and I'll take that camper van around the world and that's the time I'll go and explore the world. And then it's tragic when at 62 your partner dies and your plans are all gone and you realize that your plans were all built on future possibilities rather than the now. So my invitation to you this month, right now, or whenever you're watching this, is you have an incredible creational power in you. It's why you came here. It's why you came to Earth. It's why you came to Earth at this time. You know, you're needed in this period of history. And it's not necessarily because it's your job single-handedly to save the world of all of the problems that you might see that are here, but you landed on the planet at this time to bring not only your unique contribution to the people that you love, perhaps to the nature that you serve, perhaps you serve animals and nature more than you ever want to serve people and that's your mission. But equally, you came here for a soul experience of your own. So there will be things we're healing. All kinds of ancestral healing has been going on in the last year and a half. And a lot of the triggers that we are getting from what's going on in the world right now stir up things from the past in us, in our memories, and also in, in the land and in the history of people. So, for example, you know, I think it's been very interesting where people are pointing out parallels to other times in history right now. And there is an energetic truth in that, but it's also interesting to go, oh, well, if people are pointing out those parallels, then we're also tapping into some of the feelings of those times when there was perhaps a more revolutionary energy on the planet. And what is that doing for us personally? And how are we shedding it collectively? So it's always very complex. One thing that I shared in this month's energy update is the way that energy is turning into form is really changing. It's a message they gave me to give to intuitives. So those of us who were used to perhaps feeling something on a Monday and assuming that means by Friday, Saturday or Sunday, it will look like X, Y or Z. The message is you can't really track the way that you used to. You can't assume that the way that things are going to play out in physical form are necessarily true. It's why I always have trouble with predictions around uh, certain dates. You know, when people go, oh, on this day, this is going to happen. I've seen so many of those for decades now that, that it, doesn't, it doesn't come to pass. And then people are like, oh, well, it didn't happen. And I'm like, well, you just interpreted it in a very 3D way. doesn't mean the energy didn't change on that day or do something. But there is a lot of fear of the future right now that is disabling because it forgets that how we're showing up today and how our consciousness and our heart and what we feel and what we say or do is having a knock-on effect on where we're going as a planet. One of the things the Z's said, I think it was in last month's energy tune-up or it was in one of the MP3s in the last few months, is they said things could be far worse on the planet right now than they are. And they, they said, you know, the way that things have been going, there has been a slowing process around some of the tr difficulties we're facing now energetically. They say it could have been a lot worse, but because the consciousness has been rising on the earth in general, some of the struggles that we're now having to see and deal with in a very in-our-face way that have always been there, they have risen in a slower way, which they said is better 
for us as humans. And it was interesting, whenever I've heard them say that message, I get all the tingles in my body. And it's not something before I heard them say it that I consciously understood. But as soon as I heard it, I was like, gosh, I really, I, I feel that is, is very true. Now, you may or may not feel that is true, but I'm, I'm sharing that because it's something that I lean into on the days where I remember that it's okay to grieve, it's okay to feel scared, it's okay to be disappointed, it's okay to feel all of those things, but it's not okay to wear any of those feelings for weeks and weeks and months and months and just assume that they're never going to go away or that I'm stuck with them. Then we know that we have to start creating something different in ourselves which is why I just want you to look at the two simple questions. What am I connecting with? What am I disconnecting from? Mm, such an important question in these times. Are you buying into the fear or the COVID fear? Or are you thinking for yourself? These are the questions we, we need answers to. But listening to Lee, um, go within yourself. You will know what's best for you. You just need to listen to the voice within, the voice within yourself. That's why this show is called The Voice Within. Now, Enigma, I'm going to be dreaming of Andromeda. Between the words within, Kakite, Shalom, Namaste, Masalam. May your God go with you.
Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.